And welcome to episode 29 of the Thodcast, Conversations About Animation. I'm your host, Philip Elke, coming to you from Hollywood. And today I'm joined by my co-host, Jody Pulaski from Augusta, Georgia. Hey, how's it going, Jody? It's going great down here, and I am super excited to talk about the Monster Mash that is Godzilla today, and I am coming to you from Georgia. Yes, a bunch of animated objects mashing themselves together on screen <laughs> in today's episode, and uh, we'll just have a little uh, fun, laid-back conversation about that, and um, I don't know, I don't think we're, either of us are overly enthusiastic about Godzilla, but... Um, we decided we'd check this movie out and talk about it and um, see what is the status of, you know, the modern blockbuster um, extended universe franchise film in summer of 2019. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Jody, what did you think? Um, so it's Godzilla. I expected it to be a pretty simple plot. A lot of action, a lot of like monster on monster drama. And I mean, that's pretty much what I got. Like it was entertaining, but it's not a super memorable story. Uh, I mentioned I've seen the 2014 Godzilla as well. And it was a pretty similar experience. Like I couldn't tell you about that story at all. Hmm. But I, I, I know it was action packed. Probably this one might be a little more action packed, more monsters. Um, bigger battles but it was fine it was not blowing my mind <laughs> well you know what i hate to do i'm like i absolutely do not want to bash on godzilla because uh, there are a lot of really uh, just passionate fans for godzilla and um it just it takes a particular appreciation for what these movies are to really understand you know the myth mythos and the mystique of <laughs> Godzilla, uh, dating back all the way back to the 1950s in Japan. And I don't, wow. I'm not, you know, uh, very up on my Godzilla lore. So, um, yeah, I, I don't want to, you know, sound too negative, uh, mm -hmm. on regarding something that I don't fully understand. However, this, this was a $200 million budgeted film, um, <laughs> a huge box office attempt by Warner Brothers uh, in association with Legendary, Legendary Entertainment. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a massive international spectacle film uh, that actually opened fairly uh, underwhelmingly uh, over the weekend. $47 million gross domestically, uh, worldwide $177 million. Um, so, I mean, I, it'll probably do well worldwide, uh, you, United States and Canada market just wasn't really having it, having it. Mm -hmm. So, okay. This movie deals with monsters uh, battling each other and not as, um, strongly emphasizes the human characters, although there were a bunch of human characters. I don't know, Jody, were you surprised by how like recognizable a lot of the actors were some pretty big names in this movie some pretty big names yeah i mean i knew from the trailers that millie bobby brown was going to be one of the most recognizable characters she's from stranger things that's what i know her from but also um one of the quote unquote good scientists like he's the lead from silicon valley um a lot of the faces on the screen 
were super famous people with pretty underdeveloped plots. But like, I just want to chime in, like, I'm the same as Philip. Like, I read that this is the 35th film in the Godzilla franchise. So it's obviously like a popular great movie. So like, I'm not going to try to come off too negative either. I just maybe don't get it. But but yeah, the cast was great. I thought the cast was amazing. Yes, absolutely. Um, so we have um, Mark Russell is the the father character played by Kyle Chandler. It's like a trio, a husband, well, I guess um, former husband and wife, and then their daughter kind of formed the core family trio in this film. Vera Farmiga plays uh, Emma Russell, Dr. Emma Russell. Uh, Millie Bobby Brown is Madison Russell. And then uh, we have returning from the first Godzilla in 2014, like the first American Godzilla. Uh, directed by Gareth Edwards, um, Ken Watanabe as Dr. Shiro Serizawa. Um, and then, uh, yeah, just kind of going down the line, Z.E. Zhang, Bradley Whitford, Sally Hawkins, Charles Dance, Thomas Middleditch, Aisha Hines, O'Shea Jackson Jr., and David Strathern um, are all uh, in, in fairly prominent roles in this film. However, none of the humans really take overly prominent roles as this uh, is mostly centered around the monster action. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it is a little tricky trying to witness the, the monster um, business on screen through the eyes of these human characters when there really isn't a whole lot of you know, believable context in which these, these human characters uh, you know, ought to be paying up close and personal uh, attention to to what's going on in in the whole monster arena, and yet somehow they they try to I think a little overly aggressively integrate the the human um, element into into the monsters to where you have these humans you know, subjects of just these outrageously you know breaking the suspension of disbelief <laughs> uh, situations and it kind of d- distracted from just the effectiveness of the, you know, the fights themselves. I don't know. What did you think? I mean, I'm going to agree with you pretty much wholeheartedly. I I found it a bit distracting. And like I said earlier, a little bit underdeveloped. Um, I really wanted to connect with the, the human part of the movie just because I was like, again, not like a monster movie person. I was like, okay, this is going to kind of be my in into the story. But like you said, it's, it's kind of hard to attach to them. Maybe it's because there's so many or maybe it's because their their arcs just aren't very good but but I had trouble with that um so I ended up being more of a monster fan in this film enjoying the the CGI and the scenes with the monsters themselves and I found them to be like almost as complex and interesting and as the humans themselves yeah the core monsters that we see in this film are of course Godzilla. This film is um, set five years after the previous film or the previous Godzilla film in 2015. Uh, between that film and this one, we had Kong Skull Island, which is set in the same universe. That was set back in the 70s. Um, so, yeah, Godzilla does or um, King Kong does not appear in this film, although he is mentioned. Uh, in in this film, it's mainly Godzilla and then Mothra. We see the birth of Mothra, uh, Rodan, and Godzilla's ultimate nemesis, 
the three-headed King Ghidorah. Um, mm-hmm. But then it's not just those. Like, there are so many. There are a whole bunch I more. Think, yeah, they yeah. are. Like, some of them just make a little cameo here and there. But I think they say that they found, like, 17 of these titans. And you see, like, three or four here. And then you don't see them again. And then at the end, you see another three or four. But you don't get to meet all the monsters. Uh, like you said, you kind of have your, like, main characters, and then you have your sidekicks. And it's also tricky when you're dealing with a, an apocalyptic scenario, and the the tone can get really murky. Like, are you supposed to be upset that, you know, the Earth is basically being destroyed by all these creatures? You know, are we supposed to sympathize with the millions and billions of people whose lives are being destroyed by all these events? Or are we just supposed to kind of sit back and revel in this you know cosmic ballet uh (laughs) being performed by these ancient titans i don't know um on one level you can appreciate the uh, the kaiju action kaiju's the term they often uh use in japan for these giant monster creatures um or and or you can um you know try to uh, really sympathize with the, the human characters and you know their storyline, but yeah, it's it's um, not the easiest balance to pull off, no matter mm-hmm. how you're trying to do it. Yeah, I wanted to. You know, it starts out with Emma like losing her son, the mother, you know, and and Madison's brother, and I'm like, okay, so like this is the story I'm gonna follow, like Emma's story of I don't know, like peace after her son is lost in that San Francisco rampage, I guess. And I mean, not too late long into the movie, you find out that she's like, okay with like the whole world basically dying in the name of like eco-terrorism basically. Um, and I was like, okay, okay. So now I'm going to like tap into like the part of me that like wants to take care of the world, you know, like I get that point of view too. I'm like, when they kind of reference climate change and overpopulation, that's a real fear for everyone right now, or at least it's something that everybody is talking about. So I was like, okay, like now I'm going to kind of try to like focus on that. But then it would kind of go from that to her, like again, being confused about her son. It kind of went in all sorts of different directions with, with Emma. Mm -hmm. So I think of all the characters, the one that I found maybe the most relatable is, is the husband. Um, Mm -hmm. That's Mark Russell, right? Yeah. Uh, and and again, Madison, as much as I wanted to connect with the daughter, she doesn't have, I mean, her parents are separated. So that's yeah. not compared to like the cities that are being destroyed in front of your very eyes. Yeah, it's not uncommon for parents who've experienced the loss of a child to split up, uh, but they didn't lose both of their children. So I feel like it would have worked just as well that they stayed together, especially if they're so involved in this uh ancient you know cryptozoological endeavor you know they're both members of the uh, monarch corporation which plays a big role in this film and they both create the the orca device which is this amazing piece of technology that they built for like a college study or something like that (laughs) i think they mentioned oh yeah we built that for like our end project and i'm like you built this machine that can control titans and like these ancient gods for your like final thesis you know originally they say it was used for whales but like Mm -hmm. it when you watch the movie it's clearly like a one of a kind can't be replicated 
piece of equipment. So yeah, Doc Brown slipping on a toilet and bumping his head and inventing the flux capacitor sort of <laughs> fantasy yeah. sci-fi technology. It's just the, the craziest thing. Oh yeah, I can just uh, change a couple of settings here and then all of a sudden I'm able to control a, a freaking you know, giant monster through the use of sound. It's, it's just like in Jurassic Park 3 when they're like recreating the um, resonance chamber of a velociraptor. Oh, yeah. Like they, I don't know. Did you see that movie? Yeah, I've, I know exactly what you're referring to. It is similar to that. Yeah. Okay. So all of a sudden we can communicate with these ancient creatures, even though like we have no context for how their language structure actually works. I don't know. I, I guess, you know, do enough research and you can sort of, uh, you know, trial and error your way into figuring out a system that works. And we see her do this with the birth of Mothra sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you have uh, Vera Farmiga and Millie, um, Millie Brown in, is it their ho- home? And in, because um, the movie ends in Boston. Like that's- I think they- Boston is their home. I think mm-hmm. they are on site somewhere um, waiting for the birth of, or awaking. I think they were kind of keeping it frozen, right? Yeah. But we awaken this Mothra. Okay. So Madison was cooking breakfast near near the Mothra site yeah. in China. Yep. She was burning um, the bacon. Okay. Because I didn't understand how the Boston connection came in at the end of the movie. Because because of that, like I thought they were at the Mothra site in the beginning. So so. And I thought they lived in San Francisco because that's where they were all as a family, like having maybe a vacation, but you know what? Mm -hmm. Um, There's that fam, that family photo that's on the front of the iPad and hanging up on the wall. I think that picture is taken on the front stoop of the Boston home that you get to at the very end. So Boston's clearly the home. And then you kind of, you, you globe trot around the world to all these different locations. And I think they start, uh, where did you say? Not Mexico. Um, China. China. Okay. Yep. And then they end up, you know, making their way to Antarctica and, and yeah. all around the globe. That makes it because there's an earthquake, you know, that they feel in the house in China, and then you know you cut to outside, and you know there's the the pyramid where the you know Mothra uh, egg is about to hatch. Um, so it'd be odd if the if they were feeling earthquakes around the world related to this one event. Absolutely. And when they awaken her, um, the Mothra, what do you, are they all Titans, essentially? The, the Mothra they're, they're all Titans. Monster? Yeah, this, uh, it, it, when it awakens, it hatches into the Mothra larva. Like the oh, cat. the larva first. Yeah, when the larva comes out and everybody's been planning for this, they have all this like special equipment set up, this like, you know, radiation cage set up and this equipment. But then as soon as it like comes to life, the humans sort of start like shooting at it. And it's like, haven't you been preparing for this birth for like a decade? Oh, not a decade, but years. And throughout the movie, that's something that just every time the people would turn around with their like gun and try to shoot at Godzilla or Ghidorah, I'm like, what are you doing? Like a gunshot is not going to stop this monster that's existed since the beginning of time, but okay. Uh, I was like, wow, this is the moment where the humans send off this sequence of events that, you know, precipitously leads to 
the near total destruction of humanity because they're just so incompetently handling this. Absolutely. My mom, sorry, go ahead. No, no, this awakening of this monster. Continue with your mom. No. So yeah, my mom, when we were leaving, I was like, I don't really know if there was like a moral to that movie or a theme. And she's like, well, I think it's just trying to show that when humans try to interfere with anything ever, we like ruin our own like life. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that sounds about right. Like the humans maybe should be extinct and let, let these monsters come back at it. But Ghidorah itself, uh, him, him or herself, is not a monster zero at all. It's actually an ancient alien, right? <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, these creatures must have come to Earth from somewhere, right? <laughs> you can't have ancient um, you know, zoological entities without also throwing a little in a little bit of uh you know where where did life on earth come from but uh, i i thought that was an interesting twist how about you i i thought so and i i thought meeting the what's her name sorry i keep forgetting their names i should have jotted them down. mothra Mothra. I, i thought that was like one of the most interesting of the titans that they met along the way so there were really like captivating moments with those monsters yeah yeah that was the most effective i feel arc of the the monster conflict um and and yeah there's a powerful moment at the end where mothra intervenes uh full spoilers for godzilla king of the monsters by the way for anyone uh listening from here on out our world is changing the mass extinction we feared has already begun, and we are the cause. We are the infection. But like all living organisms, the Earth unleashed a fever to fight this infection. Its original and rightful rulers, the Titans. For thousands of years, these creatures have remained in hiding around the world. And unless all the Titans are found, our planet will perish, and so will we. They are the only guarantee that life will carry on. It would have been, you know, interesting to have to take more of a what's the word? Just a fully immersed perspective of someone on the ground witnessing uh, these things as they're happening. The the terror as um, this destruction is unfolding, and and like actually feeling the degree of conflict that perhaps could have been presented if we weren't kind of bogged down in all of this, you know, eco-terrorism mumbo-jumbo. Mm-hmm. Like, actually show us, you know, what it would be like if we were living in a world where, you know, these monsters suddenly you know, appeared. Absolutely terrifying. I mean, they show those people running to be evacuated. They don't really, like, 
connect you with any individual person the way you suggest, but I can't imagine having the whole city just being stomped on and they're showing hurricanes throughout the movie. They're showing tornadoes throughout the movie. So yeah, to be an everyday person living on planet earth during this, I don't know, a week, not even a week, maybe a day of destruction would be pretty terrifying. Well, the movie's only PG-13, so, I mean, they can't make it too dark and depressing, especially for a big blockbuster like this. Uh, but, I, I don't know, Jody, do you follow Game of Thrones at all? I do not follow Game okay. of Thrones. Yeah, it was, uh, like a whole big um, kerfuffle <laughs> regarding the final season and how... Oh, I heard about it on Twitter. How abrupt. I heard about it on yeah. Twitter, yeah. We, and, you know, we talked a little bit about Game of Thrones on the show. I thought about doing a recap episode, but, um, I mean, I didn't hate it, but I didn't, like, super love it either. But, like, there is a moment where there's a whole bunch of destruction and you get to witness, like, the people on the ground as it's occurring. And um, it's, it's really intense. I think it's really well pulled off. Um, but, yeah, in, in this movie, it's, it's a little bit more distant. Um, and, uh, but we do at least have the, you know, connection point of, uh, you know, Millie Bobby Brown, um, and her family, um, and then some of the military characters. I think once you pull away from like the lackluster storyline, the kind of disorganized human element, the movie itself is entertaining. Like, I don't know, I'm not as critical with things like CGI or or that type of animation, but I thought the visuals were pretty mesmerizing. You know, they really use that Godzilla blue and Ghidorah red, like that lighting throughout with these battle scenes. And I watched it on the biggest screen possible. I don't know what they call it, but like a super giant screen. And watching those battle scenes, I never felt bored, which is different for me. Like I found the human parts a lot more boring than the battle which if you know me as a person like that's the opposite I would expect to feel Mm -hmm. did you think that the animation was super strong I mean they spent 20 200 million dollars on it like the animation seemed amazing right yeah it was amazing um I I was a little tired I made the mistake of having concessions and so that uh warm me out a little bit like I, I was starting to feel the lethargy that comes with cramming a bit too much of food India during the previews you know mm-hmm. that type of thing um so I, I wasn't greened out <laughs> I, I don't use marijuana but um I, I was pretzeled out shall we say and were you in one of the theaters with those like big comfortable seats yes yeah. reclining seats, which I love I wouldn't have it any other way however I've run into trouble a few times lately where there'll be somebody snoring during a screen. Oh, no. Super annoying. Yeah. I think yeah, it was like the same guy. Godzilla? <laughs> no, not Godzilla, thankfully, but in a couple yeah. other movies recently. It's, it's like if, ever, if anyone's ever snoring, you got to just get up and like say Please. something or, yeah. or tell someone yeah. working at the theater. I was like right in the middle of the theater. So I was just like, I'm going to, suffer this suffer through the screening of rocket man as you know someone's snoring yeah hopefully they wake up or something um but yeah the you know with my you know difficulty sort of following everything because i was feeling just a bit sluggish um 
I, it was, I think, owed a little bit to just my engagement with the quality of storytelling. Like if it had been just a little bit more interesting and dynamic and, and multifaceted mm-hmm. than it was, um, I, I would have been able to overcome that. I know I have in the past with certain films. Um, but in this case, it was just, it, it was a bit of a slog. But, you know, the the animation was very interesting. I liked the colors. I liked that it wasn't overly saturated and, um, you know, the, it wasn't over-exaggerated. It was very realistic, uh, but in, in an artistic, you know, fantastical way with these sort of elemental beings um, were able to exhibit their powers and, and kind of their um, elemental abilities in a believable way. Um, but yeah, the, the fact that they were doing so in such close proximity to nearby humans who were right. able to survive this whole thing, you know, made it a little less believable. Right. I I agree. I think the first battle happens in Antarctica and that's kind of a shorter one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, where he ends up uh, monster zero or how do you say his name? Yeah, Ghidorah, Um, King Ghidorah. Ghidorah. Yeah. He he ends up killing Graham and like flying away. And then it's the the second battle that I thought, and I don't know if you remember it in order, but it's in that second battle, I think, where the military launches a missile, um, like the oxygen destroyer. Yeah. Remember mm-hmm. that? And yeah. it seems to like kill Godzilla, but it doesn't it doesn't hurt Monster Zero. No. Do you know if there's like such a thing? Obviously this movie's a fantasy, but like is there such a thing as an oxygen destroyer? That was my like one question throughout the movie. I was like, is there a way to like actually do something like that? It sounded just like a made-up cool name for a weapon. Oh, okay. It didn't sound like anything. Like, what is this? Is this supposed to be some kind of nuclear weapon? Yeah, I mean, it was like a missile that they launched um, because they're like, we're just yeah. gonna kill everything within two miles. And this is again like in the Oxygen. second battle. And Godzilla, that's when he becomes wounded and his mm-hmm. heartbeat slows down. But then um, the other one is able to just like simply fly away. It doesn't affect him, Ghidorah. Yeah. And that, well, I don't yeah. know. It, I, it wasn't a nuclear uh, weapon strictly because later uses they yeah, use a nuclear weapon. Yeah, to revive Godzilla. Yeah, an oxygen weapon. I don't know. I guess maybe it's something that affects the, you know, the bodies or some the biological uh, cellular respiration process that uses oxygen. I don't know. It's not a real thing. I just. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, I was like, you never know what the military has. So that was one thing that I was like, wait, is that something they could actually do during a war? Obviously Mm -hmm. not. But that, that second battle I thought was the most compelling just because that's the one where Godzilla, which is kind of the hero of the movie is injured. And then you start Mm -hmm. to have compassion for this monster that originally, I mean, I didn't care about, but after he's injured, I'm like, oh my gosh, poor Godzilla. Like, how are we going to save him so he can save us? Well, yeah, really, Godzilla has been nothing but a blessing <laughs> to these movies. He just movies. wants to swim around in the ocean. Like, he, he's not causing any trouble. Yeah, he saved the world from those two beasts in the first one. Um, they were like um, symbiotic insectoid monsters i think mm-hmm. mudo or something was the name uh, uh they collectively had like just a single name 
Um, there's a, that joke in this movie where they're showing footage of those creatures like mating in the previous film and then mm-hmm. at the Senate hearing and then they have it blurred out. <laughs> that, was a, that was a joke, I guess. <laughs> um, Thomas Middleditch. I mean, he's, he's a obviously well-known comedian for, yeah, you mentioned uh, Silicon Valley and stuff like that, so. He always plays like the research dorky, like skinny mm-hmm. guy. Like he's also the face or was the face for a chunk of time for Verizon. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, so this, this character wasn't a really hard stretch for him. I mean, he had to just like walk in, be a little bit comedic, be a little bit dorky and mm-hmm. that's it. <laughs> yeah. I'm joined by uh, Shape of Waters, Sally Hawkins, of course. I the, like her. Graham, mm-hmm. Who like gets literally what eaten by Ghidorah <laughs> she doesn't just get vaporized like most everyone else for some reason he actually like bites her and, and scoops her up in the in his mouth I don't know so Godzilla like he's been just away for five years so he hasn't been causing any problems at all so I mean it, it really makes you want to root for his character when you know he's he's just such a you know benevolent uh, Titan compared to some of these other creatures. Um, I, I don't know how these, uh, some, something like Godzilla is able to, you know, maintain anonymity for five years <laughs> apart from, I guess, being tracked by Monarch. They're capable of tracking all of these different creatures. Um, I think but, that yeah. Godzilla, they sort of say, again, this is like after that second battle where he's injured, Godzilla sort of sinks down to the bottom of the ocean. There's these series of tunnels and yes. he sort of lives inside an ancient like underwater, not Atlantis, but just like some city. And down there is where he sort of is able to revive himself. Um, they have to speed it up. Um, and that's when they take down the nuclear weapon. But, but Godzilla's down there feeding on radiation. So maybe that's sort of where he was hanging out for five years. I know they tracked some of his like patterns, but I'm guessing you're supposed to assume that maybe after smashing up San Francisco, he just needed a little vacation under the sea. Yeah. Well, he spent his time in a responsible way. <laughs> it seems like in this version of the world, there are a whole bunch of subterranean, you know, massive uh, pockets, I guess. Right. Or they kind of disguise themselves as landscapes. It reminded me of uh, Detective Pikachu. One of the sidekick titans was like a mountain. And then yeah. one was living inside a volcano. But did you see that one? That kind that of was. That was Detective Pikachu. <laughs> uh, yeah. Detective Pikachu for sure. But there was one that, right, that kind of looked like a mountain, but then like stood up. I don't yeah. know which one it was, but I remember watching that and being like, oh, they got that from the Pokemon it's, it's movie. It's a Torterra. Yeah, it's a Tordera. Where's Bubasaur? And I, I keep wanting to say um, Gyarados for, for the um, Monster Zero. Um, Ghidorah. Gyarados is the uh, evolution of Megacarp. Uh, I kept wanting to call it the monster from Hercules because Her- Hercules has to battle one of those three-headed monsters. Yeah, Hydra. Monsters are based off of like mythological texts and the yeah. titans are things that are referenced in other things as well i mean obviously yeah. godzilla is its own like world but mm-hmm. 
these monsters do look familiar um, from other things that we've seen. Yeah, the Hydra that's able to regrow its head. I mean, this one doesn't, you know, double the amount of heads each time. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, but um, very, very similar. And it, it looks, that, that was crazy, like seeing the, the healing process of, of the, you know, Ghidorah, regrowing one of its heads <laughs> that was uh, some creepy animation mm-hmm. i agree I-, I liked all of the characters they created maybe the one exception for me of the titans is that one with the tusks that was kind of made his little cameo now and then it sort of yeah. looked like a uh, what do you call those big hairy guys from like ice a- giant woolly mammoth a woolly mammoth he kind of looked like a woolly mammoth i i know that they're supposed to be based they're supposed to be based kind of off animals, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know. That one for me just looked kind of silly next to those more dragon-esque, mm-hmm. um, pterodactyl, like dragon dinosaur look. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite one was probably Mothra, but that's probably because it was like the girliest one, which uh-huh. I don't know. I, I liked her. I mean, you're supposed to like her, um, especially when she emerges from her ca- cocoon and like flies around to help Godzilla. Mm-hmm. It's just so crazy that, and I, I guess in this world, like those subterranean caverns, um, also were home to ancient civilizations as well. I mean, they do allude to that through like the statues and architecture, but they don't actually show any active civilizations. They just uh, mention it in the post or in the credit sequence. There's a whole bunch of headlines I noticed, and one of them was. Like the, these, uh, the creatures were worshipped as deities by ancient <laughs> subterranean tribes. Um, yeah, it's very, very uh, journey to the center of the earth by Jules Verne. And yeah, I guess with with all the crazy, because like how my it's it's a fun concept to think that there could be civilizations buried within the Earth's surface. Mm-hmm. But then you think like, where do they get light, or where do they you know get get their their power, their resources. Uh, there would have to be some also subterranean form of energy to produce light. And, but I guess with all the crazy um, nuclear energy abilities that these creatures have, then maybe some of these ancient civilizations were able to harness a similar ability to, to generate like an, under, an underground sun. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, they could really do whatever they wanted with it. Yeah. So if they wanted to make it more logical, they could add yeah. an underground sun. If yeah. <laughs> or just think Atlantis, you know, the mm-hmm. they had the crystal light technology, all that crazy stuff. I don't know. What, what else do we have to say about this movie? Um, I guess the only other thing that I thought, like the most emotional part for me watching it, which again, you don't go to Godzilla looking to... Mm-hmm feel a lot of emotion, but like when Godzilla is in his underwater city and um, Surizawa, how do you say his last name? Yeah, I think it's it's Surizawa. Surizawa, when he goes in and sacrifices himself um, to revive Godzilla, I thought that part was really touching because, you know, throughout the movie, uh, he and, oh, that, that female scientist. Um, um, yeah, this Dr. Chen. Is this the Asian science? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, those two. You can tell that they have more of a reverence for these beings. They have more of a respect. There was an, a line, you know, earlier, right before he goes and saves Godzilla, where 
um, one of the American scientists is like, oh, you know, about it's kind of like slaying dragons or whatever. And she's like, you know, that's an, that's a, a westernized ideal, like where we are, it, like we respect these monsters, like we live in harmony for them and like with them. Mm-hmm. So when he goes in there to save Godzilla and he takes off his mask, and he's able to, you know, touch Godzilla. Godzilla opens up his eyes. I thought that part was really, I mean, it was really sad because you knew he was about to die, but you also knew that he felt like a martyr and that he was like fulfilling his destiny in that moment. And I thought that was probably one of the stronger scenes. I mean, with the humans, he was probably one of the stronger human characters for me. Mm-hmm. Maybe because of his death, he stood mm-hmm. out. Yeah, that was a surprising move when mm-hmm. with such a, iconic character from the the first film he had the famous line you know let them fight um and then yeah it's i guess that that sort of worked for me um but he's probably one of the best people to have around (laughs) as a godzilla expert (laughs) my sister looked at me and said why don't they just send in one of the soldiers like they're not the soldiers are not contributing anything. I mean, yeah. she didn't say that in so many words, but I thought the same thing. But no, that was his that was his big move and his big moment. And you know that he felt like that was the right decision for him. Yeah. And I mean, after that, what they just kind of jump to Boston and they they put that orca on the overhead so that yeah. everyone is drawn into the uh, the stadium. Yeah. And then that's when they get this big, big battle. And the emotions are turned off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I there were some really cool moments during that battle. Um, Well, we didn't talk about Rodan. This was in Mexico, the volcano that gets activated, and and this giant bird beast, uh, Rodan. I, I think which was originally conceived to symbolize the Soviet Union. (laughs) <laughs> this this Rodan creature mm-hmm. and some of the old uh, Godzilla films uh, all these giant beasts are, are meant to sort of metaphorically represent conflicts um, you know contemporary conflicts around the world um, you know J- Japan has historically you know been a, a country beset by a lot of chaos and you know, turbulence political you know tur- they and they were of course a member of the Axis powers during World War II. They were a very aggressive uh, st- you know, state power prior, prior to World War II you know, in, in their ambitions to uh, colonize and unite all of uh, East Asia. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a conflicted history. And you know, these Godzilla films are a way of sort of working out some of that uh, national angst. <laughs> Um, but, um, the, the Rodan creature is exceptionally powerful, just like taking out entire cities by flapping its wings. Um, and then, you know, comes to, you know, he makes the bowing gesture before Ghidorah, you know, showing it's submission to that character. So yeah, we... he's not very loyal because he bows <laughs> down to Godzilla like ten hours later. Yeah, he's. Uh, Don't he's trust definitely... Rodan. 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 A qu- quintessential Beta character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rodan. Yeah. Um, but w- were there any significant deaths that that Rodan contributed to? I'm trying to. I mean, I think they 
wanted to try to make you connect to that mother and her son who are like mm-hmm. running for the planes and then he's mm-hmm. like flapping his wings so like they're being sucked away. Mm-hmm. But I don't think during that scene we lose any real characters. Um, no, he's chasing after, yeah. He's chasing after that wedge-shaped um, plane, the, the helicarrier. <laughs> Yeah, the the culmination. We yeah, Millie Bobby Brown's <laughs> running away from you know uh, Ghidorah, uh, evading these lightning bursts, you know, miraculously. Then we see you know Godzilla's revived with his awesome you know blue like nuclear power, <laughs> capable of uh, you know breathing the, the nuclear fire mm-hmm. they're like he's been working out yeah yeah i think they did a little redesign to his um to like his uh what do they call those plates on on his back to match the original design a little bit more closely they're, they're a bit more prominent then eventually like what what happens where well godzilla it seems like he's going to get defeated by Ghidorah again. Uh, but then Mothra comes in. Mothra sort of takes out uh, Rodan. She takes out Rodan. Mm-hmm. And then I think she gets injured and she's able mm-hmm. to sort of give off her power to Godzilla. And then he starts to glow red <laughs> and starts to melt yeah. the entire city, basically. <laughs> yeah, it seems like King Ghidorah has won. And uh, Boston's pretty much totally demolished like there's basically a nuclear explosion that's set off there's so many what (laughs) nuclear uh explosions in this movie or at least events on that scale that um you begin to lose track (laughs) um but i i love the visual of well of course you have mothra sprinkling her fairy dust over godzilla and then, um, yeah, the him becoming this giant uh, volcanic melty monster, <laughs> the 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 image of like the crane melting away as he approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, so, some some great animation with with uh, all of those effects. Um, and then, yeah, the Godzilla is you know basically just obliterating uh, Ghidorah, although uh, takes a takes a while. But um, yeah, it probably takes twelve minutes or so. <laughs> but they have to, you know, give Madison the daughter mm-hmm. enough time to run around and get to the home so that they can kind of wrap up the uh, mm-hmm. human story of it all. Yeah, some some business with the parents, and that line was just ridiculous. Where you know uh, O'Shea Jackson is like, "Yeah, man, if I had your parents, <laughs> I would run away from home too." <laughs> They're like, "What did you say?" And then it all clicks. <laughs> I thought she was just offended. And Oh, I thought that they were like, oh, it's home. And then they like realized that she must have gone home. Right? Well, Maybe. it's like that should have been obvious before this guy made his little quip. <laughs> what a, I mean, I guess maybe not. I mean, there's a lot going on. It's easy for little details to get lost in the mix. Whoever was writing the script was probably like, eh, they're not going to notice. Let's just do this and get everybody home. Mm-hmm. I guess Vera Famiga dies. She, what, takes the 
they they the orca device gets destroyed but then they reassemble it i guess because they have time for that um, <laughs> and it takes like they just kind of take a little like uh flame and they like burn some wires together and they're like oh it works again it's like if you can fix this technology with that i will not believe this is the only techno like piece of technology that's like possible to calm down these beasts chewing gum and, and duct yeah. tape um and what and is she trying to summon like all the rest of the monsters what i can't even remember what she was trying to do when they were trying to sort of yeah. like have them drag around the are you talking about the dr emma what her goal was with these yeah emma like and and then what, she what was led to trying, her she was basically trying to like save the planet because like mm -hmm. apparently when the monsters are released and freed and they start creating like a universal balance again the, yeah. the damage they leave behind sort of like spurs on new life and you do see this happening in the credits i don't know if you stayed to kind of see that portion of it yeah. but it's sort of revealed that they are like fixing you know the sahara desert is like in bloom and stuff like that so like something okay. about these monsters releases like energy to the earth to solve some of the like mm. destruction that the humans have caused that's right i missed some of that but yeah like she's able to program the orca to make the monsters more docile or something yep yep yeah that's right the fact that Ghidorah is a like an alien creature that He's more of um, an X factor and uh, less less likely to bring about balance than than these other creatures. Um, but all very confusing. Uh, all very, <laughs> very tangled web. But for people you know love this Godzilla and have watched all thirty five movies, I'm guessing they still enjoyed it because they knew that the focus was on fights. Have you had a chance to look? through any reviews of of the film aside from like our own thoughts i've i've seen at least one review and it was mixed no it was, it was more negative oh okay and this movie hasn't been getting great reviews either i mean i kind of assumed with you saying that it opened up with worldwide like 180 million or something like that mm -hmm. uh, that it wasn't probably getting the traction yeah. it deserves and i mean i'm more excited about aladdin being out and i don't I don't know. Is summer a good time to release these movies? Like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it just was, maybe people weren't super thrilled with the 2014 version. So they weren't as pumped up for this sequel or, or triple. Which, which one is this? Is it the third in this little series? The third? Yes, it's the okay. third. And they are amidst production on the fourth Godzilla versus Kong. Hmm. So who knows okay. what that'll look like? Um, <laughs> it'll, because you can't really go up in scale after this movie this was... no this went all <laughs> around the world and destroyed like all the major cities so i don't yeah. know but that might be refreshing to yeah. get a little bit more intimate with just two of these famous characters kind of i don't know doing some kind of head-to-head -head or who knows and maybe take out some humans like maybe just have like three humans that we have to think about yeah, How, why? Why would Kong and Godzilla be fighting? I thought they were both supposed to be you good know, guys. Good guys, yeah. 
We'll find out in 2000, what? Probably five? Um, 25? I think it might be next year. Actually. Oh, really? Wow. Well, yes. I mean, then I hope for that movie's sake that people enjoy Godzilla King of Monsters because it would be a little bit stressful being um, the production company knowing that this one was sort of a flop mm. and having to be putting so much money and time and thought into the next one. Godzilla versus Kong scheduled March 13th, 2020. Directed by Adam Wingard. It's Adam Wingard's known for The Guest, Blair Witch, Your Next, VHS, a bunch of horror movies. Um, Michael Doherty uh, did um, Krampus. And, oh, um, I've never seen any of these. Trick or Treat. Uh, he was a writer. Um, Director, let's see. Oh, he was also director of Trick or Treat. Um, and yeah, yeah, a lot of uh, just small scale indie movies. Um, and then Godzilla being sort of the debut blockbuster. It was a similar case with Gareth Edwards on the first Godzilla um, in, in the series. Of course, we had way back in the late 90s the, that heavily Americanized Godzilla by Roland Emmerich. And you maybe remember that a little bit. Kind of uh, a big deal when it came out. I can't remember. Yeah, with Matthew Broderick. Um, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not a well-regarded film in the mm -hmm. Godzilla canon. I mean, it just departed so heavily from you know that whole ethos of the character. I, I like that character. That, film growing up it was just like a fun big dumb action movie as a kid <laughs> with with sort of jurassic park elements uh, I, but i don't know i mean this is also kind of a big dumb action movie as well so it, it, it's just with far better visual effects and uh, characters and yeah, not not nearly as cynical blockbuster um winking at the camera type of shtick right and Again, I think most audience members go into it knowing that, like, it's Godzilla. Like I said at the beginning, and I said now it's Godzilla. So I don't think people are too surprised mm -hmm. with 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 the content. So I hope people are happy. Yeah. yeah, I wish I had something more insightful to say. I've I've been a little half asleep this episode. I know I made the and half asleep during <laughs> the movie itself, so it works out perfect. Made the awkward admission earlier of being pretzeled out during the the screening. So. I, I can't fault the movie too much um, because I, I think there was a lot that I could sort of get into if I were a bit more about my faculties whilst watching. But it, it yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it's not getting the best reviews. It's not, yeah, not doing the best commercially. And the, the whole franchise itself has kind of gotten a middling reaction from audiences that the 2014 Godzilla, you know, was kind of uh, a meh for a lot of people. Um, and then Kong Skull Island, similar. It, it sort of uh, epitomizes the state of modern blockbusters where they just, they're a bit too watered down <laughs> to appeal to a wide audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you gotta, I mean, they're hiring these, auteur, you know, indie directors to, you know, co-write screenplays and, and direct these films. Um, so, I mean, they're, 
injecting a little bit of artistic influence to be sure. Um, but I don't know. It's just, it, it is such a big jump for a lot of these guys going from these small productions to, to these huge studio projects. And it, it seems like an overwhelming step. Um, but you know, the whole process it isn't a, a whole lot different. You get a lot more, um, executive oversight if you're a director stepping into one of these massively budgeted films, but like most of what appears on screen in a practical sense is, is nothing that was really ever touched um, by, the by, by the director until like late into post-production. You know, I, the director I think does get some say over like what the effects shots, you know, end up looking like or what ends up kind of being staged in terms of like the, um, the, the, the pre-visualizations pre of a lot of these sequences. I would have to imagine the director is, is involved in, in a lot of these, these visual effects uh, sequences, but you know, a lot of that is outside of these folks, um, you know, range of specialization. And so, yeah, it's, it's just a lot, a lot of collaboration, a lot of, you know, varied and diverse, contribution in terms of creativity to these things so that's godzilla <laughs> it's godzilla king of the monsters king of the monsters uh, th well thank you all for listening to the thodcast conversations about animation in this nuclear powered <laughs> yeah. yet somehow subdued uh episode uh we'll be hopefully bringing out uh you know guns blazing uh next time on the show a uh, review of most likely Secret Life of Pets 2. I know that's coming out this weekend. Um, so you just stay tuned here to the show and um, insightful commentary shall abound regarding these, uh, these big blockbuster projects coming out from these, all the major studios uh, this time around from Warner Brothers. Uh, next, next week, if we do Illuminations, uh, Secret Life of Pets, that's, that's universal. Um, the, that first movie made just all the money in the world, gobs and gobs of, of money appealing to sort of the, the cutesiness of, uh, of these animated dogs and cats and bunny rabbits. Yeah, it's like a 180 twist from what we're talking about today. <laughs> but Mothra was kind of cute. You have to. Mothra was very cute. All of the, I thought all of the monsters were very interesting. They, they didn't disappoint me. The monsters did not disappoint. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, check out Godzilla, King of the Monsters in theaters now. And uh, subscribe to the Thoughtcast on iTunes or now Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud. Uh, visit us at thodcast.com. You can write into the show at genresavvypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, follow me, Philip Elke, on Twitter at Philip Elke. Follow at thodcast on, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Jody, where can the fine folks find you? Uh, you can absolutely find me on Instagram. Um, it's J-O-D-I, Jody. And then my last name, Pulaski, P-O-L-A-S-K-Y. And then you can always randomly find me here on the podcast, um, giving you my thoughts on animation and chiming in as Philip leads the way with these amazing movies. I, I try my best. I just got in from San Diego uh, this afternoon. So, yeah, I'm uh, 
been a, a little bit uh, <laughs> frazzled. I've, I was just in San Francisco. Now today. Did you see any not... <laughs> uh, monster footprints when you were there? I, I don't know. Not that I'm aware of. Saw plenty of military vehicles, though, on my way. Huh. So that was that was cool. But they're coming I mean, back. <laughs> they're at least we're... coming back March 2020. We're prepared. All right. Stay tuned for then. In the meantime, I've been Philip Elke. And I'm Jody Pulaski. And thanks for listening to the podcast. Have a magical day and a wonderful week. 